Mets fans. Welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. I am Brian, and with me, as usual, is Chris. I usually say as always, but I wasn't here last week, so I can't say we're always together for at least another week. But then I'll go back to saying we're always together on the show. So how are you, Chris? Oh, good. How are you? I'm doing all right, thank you. I just made some uh, some orange chicken nice. in my Instant Pot, and it was delightful, nice and spicy. Uh, yeah, good, good stuff. Anyway, uh, speaking of good stuff, the Mets are on a little bit of a roll right now. Um, they're playing very well at home. They won their last two series uh, against Colorado. And uh, who was it before Colorado? Uh, the Giants. The Giants, yes. Again, I was off last week, so I, I am totally out of the loop here. And then they split yesterday's uh, doubleheader with the Yankees. And they're looking okay. You know, I, I know we do these... Um, these fan pulse things on the site that sort of give us an idea of where Mets fans are feeling. But how are you feeling right now overall about the team? I guess apprehensive, but not counting them out totally. They've. It's funny how different the very slight uh, improvement would make me feel. They've bounced around from three games, four games under 500 to 500 and down and up and down and up. And they've sort of been oscillating in that range. If it was just two games had been one that, that were losses so far this year, we'd be talking about a different range and it would feel different. But I guess I don't see, I, I don't see, what exactly will happen to inject this team with something to make them all play well at the same time? Hmm. There's sure. no, presumably no 2015 Cespedes trade to be had. But they're hanging around. They're still within reach of the division. Practically the entire National League is within reach of a wild card. Right. At least one of the spots. It might end up being both. So... Yeah, I. It's sort of an I don't know, but I'm still interested. I'm still watching very regularly uh, compared to August, especially September of last year, where it was definitely a, a lost cause. They're there, and just being there makes a difference in the two wild card era, and and an era where you sometimes get into a division where nobody's really that good. Yeah, and, and they've been lucky that the rest of the National League East has had as miserable luck as they've had in a couple different instances. Um, the difference right now is that the Mets didn't trade for Jay Bruce. Because he, he, he's good again, in case you missed that. <laughs> it, somehow, kind of, sort of good. Lots of home runs. Not that good of an overall hitter. No, of course not. But, you know, dingers, man. We do like them, yeah. Yeah. Although the Mets have no shortage of dingers on their own team. So that's, you know, I'm, I'm kidding. I don't want Jay Bruce. Nobody email us <laughs> saying Brian wants Jay Bruce. I do not want Jay Bruce at all. Um, I would like some emails, though. AAAudiopodcast at gmail.com, please. Thank you. Yeah, um, do, do that while I... Knock my microphone over with a beer. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we have to stay on brand, don't we? Come on. Yes. Uh, wait, 
before I miss the opportunity, the, the first answer I should have had to that question, if I was staying on brand, would be, I'd feel better if they signed Dallas Keuchel instead of the Braves. <laughs> yep. Or uh, if they and, signed uh, Craig Kimbrell. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, either one would be totally fine. And I will harp on those things every time one of those pitchers succeeds against them the rest of this <laughs> year. Yep. Um, or any time that the bullpen is clearly shot and they don't have anyone else to throw or the rotation needs a fifth starter, a sixth starter rather. My favorite thing about that, the, especially the bullpen side of things, the rotation, it's like everybody magically forgets that you need more than five starting pitchers Right. when the rotation makes a few turns and, and they've had pretty good health luck rotation wise. We've, we've talked about that in some of the episodes so far this season, but with the bullpen, I, I love and hate that when you point out that Kimbrell could have helped the bullpen, if you point it out during a game, some people inevitably will be like, oh, he wouldn't be pitching right now. And you're like, that's not <laughs> the point. He would, it, and I think everybody who listens to the show, I don't have to explain the concept. <laughs> There's depth. <laughs> Right. I, I feel like it's been a, a running theme for four or five years, maybe longer on the site. Uh, but it's just there are two types of depth when it comes to the bullpen on a major league team. There's the guys who are in AAA who might need a fill in uh, for players who get hurt, whatever else may come up. Those are sort of the, the reserves. But then there's what kind of depth you have of good major league relief pitchers. And I don't know. I don't watch the Yankees on a day-to-day basis, but I'd imagine they have an easier time managing the workloads on guys because if Chapman's not available on a day, they have guys who are capable of doing almost as good a job as he does. Yeah, I mean, the really simplistic way that I tend to look at it it's just like if the Mets had Craig Kimbrell, there would be almost no reason for them to have um, Tyler Bachelor on the on the roster right now. And that's not to say that Bachelor and Kimbrell would pitch the same innings, but that's that's not the point. The point is that if the Mets have seven relievers, then whoever their best reliever, if they brought in another reliever who was better than their worst reliever, that worst reliever wouldn't be there anymore. It's just that simple. Yeah. It's just that simple, and no. My favorite thing now is whenever when I, I went on Twitter and I complained about um, Keuchel signing with the Braves, and of course somebody instantly said to me, uh, "Well, where would he have started now that Vargas is good?" And right. I just want to say, shut up, because <laughs> you're, again, you're missing the point here. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think with the Yankees fresh. On the, on the brain coming off the doubleheader, you look at that bullpen. And they went out and signed Ottavino in the offseason. They signed Zach Britton. And I'll admit I wasn't the highest on Britton over this winter, but there was certainly a significant amount of people who thought he was still worthy of a, a being signed to a, a, a contract that paid him fairly well. But they signed both of those guys, and then they had 
Chapman and Canley. And Batanzas, who is now hurt, but right. But Batanzas is my point. That that's uh, if the Mets had Batanzas, it would be and, and and went out and got Diaz. It would be if I guess what I'm saying is if Familia was as good as Batanzas, and then pitched zero innings, and he's he's dealt with an injury of his own. But if the Mets had that guy who was that good. He'd be the eighth inning guy for sure, and there would be no reason to sign other pitchers. I, I, and it's it's remarkable that there were relievers of that caliber out there, whether it's Adovino or Britain, and the Mets just Diaz Familia. That's enough. And okay, Justin Wilson's still around. We'll sign him. And and we've seen. Justin Wilson doesn't stack up to any of the top five relievers in the Yankees bullpen right now. And he's been hurt and that's been a big blow. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's Craig Kimbrell to, to your point would be, and, and any of Britain, several other guys who are out there all winter. Uh, Kimbrell was out there all spring too, but they they uh they would knock those guys out and then your bachelors your rames etc they would all be guys who get cycled in and aren't necessarily being pushed out there in situations that they're not suitable for ganyo you know right and i like some of those guys this isn't saying those guys can't be a valuable piece of your team in the future, or even in the present. But the difference is when you have a young pitcher who you want to see what they're worth, I understand you want to throw them to the wolves a little bit and you know see if they sink or swim. I'm mixing metaphors left and right here. But you, know, it, it, you, you want to give them the chance to succeed or fail in high-leverage situations. I understand that. But there are certain games that are so close that you – they're so important that you don't want to take a chance on Tyler Bashler or Tim Peterson, or insert quad A reliever here. You When you have to win one of those games, that's not the time to try out a new pitcher necessarily. And to be able to be more judicious about when you do use those young, unproven guys is a really valuable thing to be able to do. That is why you see, like to me the example of this was, has always been the Cardinals. The Cardinals seem to always be great at working in new young players. And it seems to me like those new young players are rarely put in a position where a game is going to rely on them. They're they're allowed to grow without being dependent upon them to win every game. They can fail and not be totally out of the major league picture because they failed. Does that make sense? Am I making sense when I say that? Yeah, yeah, I get it. You know, um, I can't remember the last time the Mets had a player that they were high on that they didn't either bench for no reason uh, or overuse instantly. And that's very frustrating. Yeah. Well, speaking of frustrating, we should, we should <laughs> talk about the way that the Mets just recently handled the situation with Robinson Cano. So when you and Allison recorded last week, Cano had already been hurt again, right? Yeah, he had come into the game on Wednesday, I think it was, 
played a few innings. It might have been Tuesday, uh, but whatever the case, he had come into one of the games, played a few innings, came right out, and then it was, oh, no, we don't know. He's not really, we're not sure. He, he might not be hurt again after being on the injured list for a couple weeks and not playing a rehab game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, that's what we want to talk about. We want to talk about the lack of the Mets sending their players on rehab assignments. What other um, what other examples do we have of this this year, Chris? Uh, so off the top of my head, they've done it with Justin Wilson, where he didn't. Uh, he's he's on one right now. Yes, so he is. Cano is on one now. Finally, Nimmo is. Uh, Wilson is, but they've done it with Wilson. They've done it with Cano. Did they do it with Familia. I can't remember if Familia made a rehab appearance or not. Let's see. I, th- I was he was my other guess. I I I think. Well, I think I should have researched this better. But <laughs> I, I I hold on. The the internet can tell us. I, I think it's happened twice with Wilson. And Wilson's been with, on the injured list three times already. I thought so. Hold on. Let's that, see. I mean, that's, that that it sounds like a lot, but I guess it's not. I mean, it is. But it's it sounds plausible too. Yeah, yeah. Familia has not pitched a game in the minors this year. Okay. Uh, Wilson. Did Conforto make a rehab start when he has concussion? Uh, nope. Yeah, Didn't no, think he. So. Yeah, Conforto played no rehab games. Cano, Familia, and Wilson. Yeah, Wilson has not until now. Now that they've shifted over to doing <laughs> rehab assignments, <laughs> uh, Wilson had not pitched in a minor league game yet this year, and. I'm trying to think. Was he officially put on the injured list twice, or was he just put on once? And then, I, for some reason, I thought he was feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, no, this makes sense. It hasn't been three times, but it's been twice. He pitches up until mid-April. He goes on the injured list. He returns without a rehab appearance of any kind. Pitches one inning, gives up three hits, two runs. Faces six batters. Not a great inning. And then he goes back on the injured list. Uh, you know, it's I, I just don't get it. Do you think this is a situation like last season with Mickey Calloway and double switching where he didn't know how to do something, so he never did it? Is this like, does, did Brody just now figure out rehab starts? <laughs> Maybe. Obviously, Lowry was on that kind of path um, in fairness to them Todd Frazier had a, a maybe not as long as it needed to be but I think I forget whether or not he was getting near the end of how long you can be on a rehab assignment before he had to come up but um, yeah yeah it was still he it, Frazier went from April 4th to 21st playing in minor league games. It's not a super long time, and only two of them were above St. Lucie. 
And that was also probably because at that point, everybody thought he was washed up, and nobody wanted to get Alonzo out of the lineup. So they were keeping him down right. for that reason, too. Or Davis, right? No, they wanted to remember because there was talk of him playing first base. Oh, yeah, 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 right. Or both of them, I guess. Yeah, both. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, but at, but, the, at the time, everybody was worried that that Alonso was going to lose playing time at first to Todd Frazier. Which, looking back on it, of all the things we should have been worrying about, <laughs> that was not one of them. <laughs> but yeah, it's. I I don't want to conclude that they rushed Frazier, but they've certainly had instances with four separate players who didn't play any rehab games and then came right back onto the major league roster. And that's not to say that every one of these guys should go spend a month in the minors, but the Cano case is just so perfectly uh, an illustration of the issue. He, He comes right back, he plays a few innings and then he goes right back out of the game again. It's the most Mets thing ever. I feel like the only thing that was more Mets was, I believe it was just one at bat, where Cespedes came back from one at bat, hit a home run, the one back on the DL. Yeah, 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 that, that, <laughs> I have forgotten about that, but I think that did happen. It might have been one game, not just one at bat, <laughs> but, you know, but I feel like that's that's a very Mets thing. You're right, though, this is, this just feels very Metsy. Yeah. And for a team that takes a lot of uh, justifiable criticism over the way it handles um, injuries in general, you would think the adjusted strategy wouldn't be, what if we don't do rehab assignments? Right, exactly. (laughs) For a team that seems like they're so conscious of that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I don't get it, man. I don't get the I don't get why you wouldn't want to be sure your player coming back is healthy, and a lot of this is going to be blame. It's it's going to turn into blaming the player. It's going to turn into well, Cano told us he was ready, and that that shouldn't be good enough. Right. You have a medical staff for a reason. You need to be able to. You know, all these players want to play. They have they're incredibly competitive. That's that's what makes them professional athletes. Is that they have this incredible competitive streak in them that wants to get out there and play even when they're hurt you have to have medical professionals who can talk sense into them so they don't wind up going out there and having career-threatening injuries because they're playing through stuff they should be resting so if the excuse is that well so-and-so said they were ready that's horseshit you shouldn't be listening to them you should be listening to your medical staff right there and you've got to be able to tell when a guy is or isn't feeling well put him through some work and it's really not that hard. And, of course, it, random things are going to happen, right? Every, every team is going to have a situation this season, more than likely, where somebody comes off the injured list too early. Those, those things happen. But you have to at least do your due diligence and try and make sure that they're getting all the potential uh, care that they can get to make sure when they come back to the team that they are in the best condition they can be. Yeah. What's especially frustrating about the Cano situation is, and I, I am not one of those people, so I'm, I'm prefacing this by saying I don't really believe in a Danny Hechevarria, but Hechevarria was playing so well when Cano was hurt, 
it's not like they felt like if we don't get Cano back right now, our season's over. You know, we need we need Cano back. Even Cano at twenty percent is more is of more value to the team than uh, than Echeverria at one hundred percent. But that wasn't the case. If there's ever a time to let somebody get the extra rest, it seemed like Cano was in a good position to do that. Let Echeverria play a couple more games. He was tearing the cover off the ball. Yeah. And it's one of those things you, you uh, once Cano is healthy, I don't want to have Chavria starting over him ever. But, of course not. Yeah. <laughs> but you had something good going on. Maybe you could get a few more days out of it. And it's the justification, too, that gets you when, when Callaway was like, well, he could be a pinch hitter, but we need him to be a starter and we don't need him to just play a few innings. But that the way rehab stints go, that's the whole. All right, go play two, three innings, go play four or five innings, play seven, play nine, it, work right. your way back. First, you're going to DH for a couple days. And then, you know, it just, it's, yeah. Yeah. I know that the Mets are probably not more injury prone than other teams. And I know that the Mets probably don't handle this stuff. Like, overall, all that worse than other teams do in a vacuum. But it just seems like the Mets find a way to mess up an injury situation every single season, if not multiple times in a season. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> well, what hasn't been uh, terribly handled so far, and I'm knocking on wood right now, is the starting pitching. Over the last month, the Mets starting pitching is ninth in the in all of baseball with an ERA just over four, which... Seems high, but you know if that's what the offensive environment is right now, then you know I guess I guess we'll take it. But overall, the Mets starting pitching has been relatively healthy and relatively good. Um, we're coming off a a very bad Zach Wheeler start yesterday in Game One of the doubleheader against the Yankees, but before then, the last week or so has had excellent Mets starting pitching. Um, I was at the game on Saturday night when Stephen Matz looked, you know, very very good. Uh, yesterday, Jason Vargas continued his uh, magic trick of not looking washed up for the last three or four weeks. Um, yeah. You know, Syndergaard has finally seemed to have gotten his season maybe back on track. Uh, DeGrom has remained unlucky but not pitching poorly. You know, overall, the starting pitching has been pretty good. Has there been one performance or one person that stood out to you as as particularly interesting or effective lately? I think... Uh, it's Syndergaard for me. Why? Partly, partly because of the way that people had been reacting to him, and it could just be the combination of you know what I hear in real life, what what corner of the internet I see opinions from, <laughs> but people were really, really down on him. And okay, in fairness, at the end of April, he had a six point three five ERA. That's that's bad. Um, but you're talking about a guy who has not just been good. He's been among the best, not Cy Young contender, but just below that level of starting pitcher over the course of his career. And he's still 26. So I think, I think he had one bad start after I had written a piece in late April saying Syndergaard's going to be just fine. His next start wasn't good. Since then, he had the game where he threw the shutout and hit the home run. 
uh, with 10 strikeouts and a walk. And from then through now, uh, with his start over uh, against the Rockies, I should say, as the Mets beat them, uh, 3.27 ERA, 8 starts, 55 innings, 49 strikeouts, a little low, 12 walks, that's fine. Um, that's pretty close to the guy that we know who's really good. He's he's been a little inconsistent, I guess. That that's why the ERA is three point two seven in a, a stretch that he's had a complete game, eight innings, seven innings, six and two thirds, seven innings, uh, all thrown in as some of those eight starts. Well, we, but, we were talking before recording about Wheeler and how Wheeler's ERA is decept- not deceptively high. It looks deceptively high until you realize that he's thrown a bunch of starts that were like seven innings and three or four runs. But they've won a lot of those starts. And I think if you look at Syndergaard, too, I mean, he's had kind of the opposite problem where they have lost a lot of his better starts uh, so far this season. Um, I guess that's actually not true. Just looking at it now, they, they, had a, they had a stretch where they lost four of his four straight starts from him. But you know, he has only had... And only only huh? one of those starts was a stinker. Right, exactly, yeah. Those four. Yeah, and he's only had two games so far this season where he has not given up a run. Uh, Yeah. You know, and he's had one, one, two, three, four, five. He's had six games he's given up four or more runs. So he's, he's looked human this season, but I think that, as we said, offense is up, so you can't, you can't judge him on the same metric you would have two or three years ago. But I think overall he, he's he been hanging in games and he's looked better than than I think, like you said, certain corners of the fandom have wanted to give him credit for. Uh, my father-in-law tends to be a, a bit of a, a downer Mets fan. And a couple of weeks ago he said to me that he didn't think the Mets had elite starting pitching. And I just I just said to him, like, where, where are you getting that from? You know, yeah. <laughs> he said he wasn't worried about Degrom. I said, okay, if you were if you're worried about Degrom, that actually gives more credit to your argument. If you think Degrom was a fluke, which is crazy, but like if you say that, okay, I, then you have some sort of logic you're following because Degrom's having a bad year. So okay, you're worried about him, whatever. But Mats has been better than advertised. Wheeler has been fine. Vargas has been far better than advertised, and Syndergaard has been fine. I, I don't know where this bad starting pitching. Uh, thing comes from. Were they just watching the Wilmer font starts? They were ugly. <laughs> they, they were very ugly. Yes, they were. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, go ahead. You know, I think it's just a... If, if all... If the bigger name pitchers had a stretch like Vargas and one or two of them were doing it at the same time, I feel like that's when it would turn from that to, oh, my God, we have the best pitching in baseball. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Is there, is there anything yeah. about um, about Vargas's performance the last few weeks? I know you and Allison talked about this last week, but is there anything about his performance that you think is sustainable? Um, he's throwing with his left arm. <laughs> Touche. I, I, I don't know. I know some people might be looking to defend him 
And I want him to be good for the rest of the time he's a Met, however long that may be. But, yeah. This is a guy who, he made 20 starts last year and only threw 92 innings. <laughs> That's crazy. That is it's crazy. It's crazy that that guy's He's thrown 51 already, by the way, in 11 starts. Yeah. And one and two of those starts, he did not get out of the second inning. Yep. Yeah, so he's... I just don't know, man. It, it's it, the... 2017 18 combined performance. It's a what? Where is it? There it is. A 4.7 ERA. Uh, could he end up there with this stretch? I, I don't know. I just feel like what we've seen here is when Dylan G had a, a stretch of 30 starts in a row, or, or maybe even 31 or 32. But Dylan G had a stretch where he was almost as good as Vargas has been. And you just knew that wasn't who he was. You were rooting for him. You wanted him to be that good, but you knew he wasn't. That That's kind of where I am with Vargas. And then if, if when he comes back to earth a little bit, back down to earth a little bit, if that's a 4.5 to 5 ERA kind of pitcher, all right, you, you can live with it. But if it's an 8, 9, 14 kind of pitcher, <laughs> then you're back into having a real problem. Well, see, it's funny. I was thinking about this before. Uh, to me, Vargas seems like you're a player that you would advocate for because of your traditional advocating for players over 30, advocating for players with, with some track record. Not that Vargas' track record is stellar, but like... I feel like if Vargas was an offensive player instead of a pitcher, if he was this level of hitter versus mm-hmm. this level of pitcher, you'd be more in favor of him. Yeah, that's probably right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is it just that aesthetically he's such a unpleasant player to watch play? Yeah, and I think the part of the difference with pitchers and hitters, too, is that if a guy swings and misses, say he's striking out a lot, I I can't exactly, as a fan, place that. I can offer an opinion on what his swing looks like, and so can everybody else. We don't really know. As, as well as we all know baseball and as much as we watch the game, when a hitter is struggling, you can see... It, it, it just looks different when you're focused on him alone. When a pitcher is struggling, the ball, and, and we have measurements with StatCast, of course, uh, the ball is just getting ripped off the bat constantly. And for whatever reason, that that kind of stands out more. That's harder to watch for me. It, and there's sense. something about a pitcher pitches every fifth day. A hitter plays most, you know, the starters at least play every day. All right, the guy, he's 0 for 10, 0 for 20. That's all right. You, you're not going to have to wait that long to get to... Here's another 100 plate appearances, and then 100 more, and 100 more. And things start to even out. They feel more like they can even out. When, when a guy is only in there once every five days, you start to dread 
the starts he makes and not want to go to games when he's starting <laughs> because why spend your money then when you can go on a different night? You know, so right, it's right. I think there's also something like, you know, even when a player is, unless a player is mired in such a slump that they're not even making contact, you can be fooled into thinking someone's coming out of a slump in an 0 for 4 game. Like if they hit the ball hard four times, or they have good quality at bats all four times. They might fail, but you see something there like, okay, well, that you know, if things are just, if, if a player had been playing two steps to the left, that would have been a hit or whatever. It's harder to make those qualifications for pitchers. Mm-hmm. Because a pitcher's mistake typically is is paid for more than a hitter's mistake is. Yeah, and I think it's just the spotlight of the role. You're yeah. out there, and if you're taking or so lacking at the hands of the other offense, it's all you. And I, I will say in Wheeler's defense, he could have gotten out of some of the spots that he got into because of bad defense, but his defense did him no favors. Uh, the you know, in the day game at Yankee Stadium. That was a, pretty ugly. A, yeah, as the tangent. But, yeah, you're right, I guess. I, I don't know. But I, I still, I want to be wrong, and I will celebrate being wrong. But I still just don't think I am when it comes to Vargas. I, I like how, you, how you're, you're, instead of saying you want him to succeed, you put it on yourself. <laughs> you don't want Vargas to succeed. You want you to be wrong. I, I don't know what that says about you. Yeah, it. it, it who knows? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's he could if he could just be a passable fifth starter. The rest of the way, I would consider it a pleasant surprise. Uh, I'd admit some level of defeat and in, in saying very early, early in uh, this season that he's not a major league pitcher anymore. Um, yeah. Let's hope that's a problem that we have, or let's hope that Anthony K is ready. If Vargas goes off a cliff. Yes. Yes. Um, I, I love just randomly searching names on Twitter and seeing what people say. And a couple of days ago, when Vargas, I guess it was after the after it was last night after the Yankee Stadium start, I just searched Jason Vargas on Twitter, and somebody was like, "All right, who can we fleece to trade Jason Vargas for a a, a backup catcher?" I was like, "Man, Jason Vargas is not getting traded for anybody. Don't even don't don't begin to even <laughs> kid yourself about that. Yeah, it's not going to happen. You know, it's going to be fun when." Vargas has a solid rest of the season, and Mets fans want him to stay more than they want Wheeler to stay. Yep, exactly. <laughs> that's that's actually something. Right now, I forget whether or not we talked about this on Slack already, but when this season ends, do you think Mets fans will be wanting Zach Wheeler to stick around in the mess to pay him market rate, or do you think they won't want him on the team anymore? That's an excellent question. Ooh, baby, there's a lot to chew on there. Um, <laughs> So on one hand, I feel like there was this false narrative started because it's the Mets where you were either a Wheeler guy or you were a Harvey guy. But like there was this sense that that you, you couldn't be equally in support of both. I remember people arguing back and forth 
about who was going to be better and, and get, they get impersonal about it instead of just being like, hey, they can both be great. You know, it, it turned into an, an either or situation. So I think the players, the, sorry, the fans who were still in that sort of a mindset who didn't like him because he wasn't Matt Harvey or who didn't like him because it took him longer to achieve sort of probably his top. It, it, you know, he, he was not as last year was the best year of his career and it came, you know, considerably after the hype had come off of him. So I think people still look at him as washed up because he didn't live up to the hype initially. So I think for those Mets fans, they're going to want him gone because they're going to say, what has he ever done for us? Which is ridiculous, but they're going to say that. On the other hand, I think that the same people are going to be mad when he gets a slightly below market rate from another team. Yeah, that sounds like Mets fans. Yeah. <laughs> what do you want them to do? I think I know the answer to this, but I'm asking anyway. Hmm. I think he'll be solid. Uh, or better than solid. I think Wheeler will have more success. I don't think he'll ever be the pitcher he was in the second half of 2018 uh, permanently, but I think he can be above average and, I don't know, until this front office um, and these owners show me. If they want to go out this winter and, and entertain, there are some good starting pitchers who are potentially going to be free agents if they don't sign extensions of their own. Uh, but if the Mets, the Will Ponds, Brody Van Wagenen, if they want to demonstrate that they're legitimately considering the upper tier free agents uh, this offseason. Hmm. What was what, that? What was that? I don't know. That was pretty loud. Hmm. <laughs> Am I going to hear you vaporize on, uh, on the call? It's possible. Um, yeah, well, that was interesting. <laughs> You're right. Oh yeah, I'm I'm good. But that was that was loud. Of course, our our dog is not affected by any loud noises. <laughs> uh-huh. But yeah, that that sounded like a firework. It sounded like a firework, or it sounded like you had like a bass drum next to you, and uh-huh. you were hitting it for emphasis. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, maybe maybe next time, but <laughs> yeah, I'm not hearing any like anything concerning other than that very loud boom. All right, well, hopefully the neighborhood's <laughs> in one piece. Yes. Um, what were we talking about? <laughs> uh, Wheeler. What, what you want them to do with Wheeler? Oh, yeah, right. So if they're willing to get out there and, and sign pitchers who are who they're not going to be willing to sign, then that changes things somewhat dramatically. You have DeGrom, you have Syndergaard. If you're willing to go sign one of the top guys and maybe somebody else who's in the middle tier, you still have only four starting pitchers. But, <laughs> you know, maybe Anthony Kay comes up and shows you enough even then, you're you're sort of skating on thin ice, as they always do. But I just don't see that happening. So I guess right now, I think Wheeler will be better than he's been up to this point of this season. And even if that's a guy who's around like a 3.9 to 4 ERA at the end of the season, 
that might be extremely valuable to them. So I, I right now I'll guess that I'm going to want Wheeler back. But I, I definitely want Wheeler back. I think that Wheeler adds a bit of stability to this rotation. I think that when he's good, he is. He's not Degrom good. When even at his best, he's not Degrom, right? But that's not that's not an insult to the guy. Very few are. I think Wheeler, when he's good, is an upper echelon starting pitcher. He's going to come a lot cheaper than guys who had worse seasons this year than he will have because he's perceived as an injury risk or a bit washed up or whatever we talked about before. You know, he's not he's not perceived in the same level as some other guys. I actually wouldn't be surprised if he got Dallas Keuchel over the offseason. Um, and so because of that, it's tricky. You know, he may not take a below market value deal from the Mets, but he would have a year ago. Yeah. And if they had just acted on that, that would be a very different story. Um, but yeah, I, I, I want Wheeler back for sure. Yeah. All right. Hey, I'm, I'm perfectly reasonable. Yeah. And I, and I, like I said, I just think he'll be cheaper than... I think it'll be cheaper than an alternative, but not necessarily worse than the alternative. Yeah. (laughs) So we'll see. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives. But those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Uh, so can I tell you about the drunkest person I've ever seen at a, at a baseball game? Yes, of course. So Saturday night, some friends and I went to the Mets-Rockies game. Uh, we were there in part because some of our friends are big fans of Miss Lauren Hill, who performed a post-game concert, and actually showed up. I couldn't believe it. She was there. She oh, yes, a, you were concerned about that. Yes, she has a history of not showing up for things. So um, anyway, so we're at the game, and I look over to my right, and there was a guy there in full-on Pittsburgh Pirates gear. So wearing a uh, Roberto Clemente jersey, but not even like a throwback jersey, like a like the 2003 Pirates, but with Clemente's name on the back, which is weird, but whatever. Clemente right. jersey, Clemente hat, our Pirates hat, and he's passed out already, and this is the second inning. And <laughs> um, I first thought he was just sleeping, because the way he, he looked very comfortable and was just kind of sleeping, but then I noticed that every... That, People in the section started walking behind him and like making poses, and their friends were taking photos of him, of them with him, because he was just that clearly passed out. So then he he kind of shifts himself and he's he's sleeping like a little baby, kind of in a fetal position in an uncomfortable city field chair. And then he throws up <laughs> uh. all over himself, all over the floor, 
And his friends, I had to say, like, his friends sprung into action. They were cleaning him up. They were trying to, you know, do what they can for him. But then the story takes a turn, Chris. So mm. I was in section 512, which is behind home plate. I was maybe 10 rows from the top. It was not not very close to the field. But so when they get this guy up, and we first we were calling him Bernie from Weekend of Bernie's. Because everybody yeah. just kept like moving him around, you know. At this point, he just became Clemente because it was easy to to call him that. So when they get Clemente up, um, we're like, "All right, they're bringing him out of here." Good. No, they bring him to the top row of the upper deck. They walk <laughs> him up the up the <laughs> stairs, and, and we were like, "What is the point?" My friend was like, "They're trying to get him some air." I'm like, "He's outside. How can they get him some air? Like this doesn't make any sense to me." <laughs> so they yeah, bring. Was that? There's no difference between. No, literally no difference between being in row J or row Q, whatever it was, right? No difference. So they bring him up there, and at this point, they're like slapping him in the face, trying to wake him up, trying to like just get him, you know, into some sort of functionality. And by the way, I have been to hundreds of Mets games. I have never been to a game where I saw no ushers until Saturday night. There was not a single Mets usher in my section. Nobody saw this happening. So oh, the the five hundreds, uh-huh. it's it's a free for all. Apparently, it's it's the Wild West. It's, it's no man's land up there. So, so anyway, so now now he's at the furthest point from where he can be to get out of the stadium, and his friends realize, okay, it's time to get him out of here. Now, if you and I were trying to get our buddy out of the stadium. I would think that we would each get on one side of him and throw an arm over our shoulders. Yeah. That that sounds logical to you, correct? Yeah, that that or getting some assistance. Sure. Sure. No. But each one of them had like an arm around his waist and they were trying to move his legs for him. <laughs> so they're 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 both like low to the ground and they're just kind of like walking him down and we're just we're not even watching the game at this point we're just like Clemente's gonna fall down he's he's, he's gonna wipe out and this is gonna be bad so they get him past where I'm sitting and maybe three rows up now I'm on the total opposite side of the section so I wasn't I wasn't in the splash zone or anything thank goodness but they're walking him and then all of a sudden he turns. And he turns kind of into the section across the aisle, and he steps into the section, but he steps through a chair. So now his leg is caught <laughs> between the back of the chair and the folding part of the seat, and then throws up again. So now, <laughs> so now, now he's locked in position, and he manages to somehow, he, when he leans forward, his hat falls off and he throws up into his hat. And we're just like, this is, this is, I've never seen anything quite like this before. And I've seen drunk people many times before, but it's not over yet, Chris. Oh, man. So they, they finally get his leg unhooked from this, from this bear trap of a chair that he steps into. <laughs> and at this point, they're saying, all right, we, we need some assistance here, but they don't go get help. They're like, oh, there's a railing there. So they lean him against the railing. And he's kind of like flopping backwards over it. And so one guy now is behind him on the railing, holding him up. And the other guy is kind of in front, in front of the railing. And they're just sliding him down. Not like, 
not like the like the cocky kid in school would slide on the banister, but like they're just, they're using the they're using the railing to keep him upright as they're trying to push him down the stairs. But as they're doing this, his shirt is rising up and his pants are falling down. So we get like full on mooned by this obese guy in a Roberto Clemente jersey covered in vomit as they drag him down the stairs. Yikes. It took them like 10 minutes to get him down the 500 level of stairs. Uh, yeah. Finally, they get him to the landing and then they put their arms, his arms over their shoulders. <laughs> A move that would have been appropriate an hour earlier. Yeah. That was my city field experience. That's something else. How it long would, did you, would you say that took start to finish? 45 minutes. Wow. That's... Uh... <laughs> it wasn't all action. There were long periods of inaction there. Right, right, right but still. But yeah. Um, I did... The guys sitting right behind us were from L.A. And it was their first time at City Field. And so I felt good. I, I recommended where they should go get some beer. I had them get some, some uh, McKellar. I told them about the Pat Lafrieta steak sandwich. You know, I kind of, I kind of gave them some good recommendations, and and they, as they were leaving, they said they loved coming to City Field. So apparently, Clemente did not ruin their experience. So that was good. All right, yeah, that that's that's good to hear. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, uh, it was a night, man. Yeah, I don't. I certainly don't have an elaborate story. I'm just trying to think of the drunkest fan I've ever seen. I I, I don't know. I haven't had one obviously stand out. There have been. Plenty of drunk enough fans being just regular idiots. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I can't match. I can't even come close to matching that one. <laughs> it's a dubious, a dubious honor. But yeah, <laughs> but here we are. Uh, so, what's your music recommendation for this week? Uh, so, unfortunately, Rocky Erickson passed away. Yes, yes, he did. And I guess if you know him, you already know all of it. But if you don't know him, he was pretty pretty damn good and it, i would just start where the starting point was really um the psych is the psychedelic sounds of the 13th floor elevators so he the 13th floor elevators made music he, he was he was in that band and then he had several albums uh over the decades in in his own name so if you're not familiar go check it out and and Start there. That's how would you describe it to folks who aren't familiar? Um, like Texas psychedelia, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's especially the solo stuff. The I mean, the, the old stuff is is just as good, and and a lot of the solo stuff is older too. But um, weird in the best possible way. Uh, it just the the sound of it all. It just sounds cool, and yeah, no, this was uh, this was a guy who who had plenty of struggles of his own. Uh, I think some of those come through in the music, but he he knew what he was doing. Um, so yeah, yeah, I would I would start there, and it's got to be one of the coolest. That album specifically has to have one of the coolest album art covers that has ever come around. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. 
That's a beautiful just, album cover. Yeah, just sort of like defining what a psychedelic rock record would look like. And the band name itself, the 13th Floor Elevators, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing. It's perfect. It's one of those names that in, that like you hear it and it makes sense, and then you think about it for a second, and it doesn't really make sense. <laughs> but, you know, like how can an elevator be just for one floor? <laughs> they mean the entrance to the elevator on the third floor. I don't know, but it's it's great. It's a great name. It's a, it's a it's a perfect band name. And well, yeah, I, you you could take it as that we are going to elevate you to the thirteenth floor, and nothing else can do that. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. So uh, maybe I don't know. I don't, I've never. I don't know if they ever said that, but <laughs> th- I'm going to stick with it. Yeah, why not? So. uh I see your mid-60s album, and I raise you a mid-60s album. Oh, um, nice. Okay. So the only... Like, I, I recently celebrated my 37th birthday, and I'm not a big birthday guy. I don't, I don't go out for my birthday or anything. It's just it's not really my thing. But the one thing I, I started when I was about 19 or 20, where on my birthday I would listen to Love Supreme by John Coltrane straight through. Mm. It's my yep. favorite album of all time. Um, and uh, I just I started doing it and that's the only birthday tradition I really have. And so um, I'm going to recommend The Love Supreme by John Coltrane. If people haven't heard it, what are you doing with your life? Listen to A Love Supreme by John Coltrane. Uh, it's it's one of the best albums ever made, I really think. It's a, it's, it's a four-part suite. Um, it is Coltrane's classic quartet with McCoy Tyner on uh, piano, Jimmy Garrison on bass, and the great Elvin Jones maybe the jazz drummer of the 60s uh, on drums. And um, it's, 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 a, it's a four-part suite, and each part has a really definitive sound and a really definitive melody. I, I think sometimes, and I, and I love jazz. I am I am not ragging on jazz. But I think sometimes you can listen to a, an album that is, you know, 40-ish minutes long. How oh, It's 32 minutes long. You can listen to that, and at the end of it, you may not be able to sing all the melodies that you hear. You know, some of it might just be uh, too free for that. But this jazz isn't that way. This jazz, there are lots of there's lots of interesting improvisation and all of that. But every song has a really strong melodic core to it. Uh, as a bass player, it's it's absolutely phenomenal. A great, great upright bass performance by Garrison. Um, it's just a beautiful album. It's it's my favorite album of all time, and. Uh, a number of years ago, there was this uh, this uh, like art gallery in Teaneck, New Jersey, that is no longer there. But they were selling these pieces of artwork by um, I gotta find that guy's name now. Uh, Stephen Keen. He's a he's a painter, and uh, he painted the cover of Pavement's "Wowie Zowie." Have you ever seen that album cover? That's yeah, a, that's a Stephen Keen painting. And Keen did this thing where every day for like a month he would paint the same album cover over and over and over again. And so I have one of his A Love Supreme paintings on my wall. Um it's awesome. It's one of I think I paid twenty dollars for it. It was like absurdly cheap. And it's an original piece of artwork and it's uh it's my favorite album and it's looking at me right now as I'm talking to this. They're talking to you. So uh yeah. A Love Supreme by John Coltrane. You cannot go wrong with that. No, Mike Watt would agree. Oh, he certainly would. Yeah. 
Coltrane. Yeah. And if, if listeners of our show don't know this already, if Mike Watts says something, there's a good chance Chris and I agree with it. Yep. <laughs> are, you, are you going to see him in October? Uh, yeah, I didn't buy tickets yet. I should soon, but... Same. Same. I mean, unless the Mets are in a playoff game that night. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, that 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 is definitely yeah, in the cards. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. It's good to be back in the saddle here. Go to AmazingAvenue.com. Find more Mets goodness from our writers. Check out our other podcasts. Um, I want to shout out uh, from Complex to Queens, our minor league podcast, who did a really nice job recapping the draft this week. Uh, for those of us who aren't as tuned into high school and college baseball players, which I would say is probably a fair amount of our audience, it's really great to have those guys just explain sort of what the Mets did this year in the draft and sort of the gamble they took and how that gamble will likely pay off in terms of hopefully signing the draft picks. Uh, just a really good episode. And, uh, yeah, check out all of our shows. Unformidable, a pot of their own. Uh, tomorrow, as you hear this, I'm going to be talking to Ron Swoboda for an episode of Amazing Avenue in Conversation, which I'm super excited about. And, uh, yeah, you can find Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can find this show on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and Stitcher, wherever you get podcasts. Chris is on Twitter at Chris McShane. I am on Twitter at Brian Etanap. And we are out of time. Thank you for listening. And until next time, let's go Mets.